Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. No spin, no bias, no censorship. This is The Dan Wooten Show on Talk Radio, the home of free speech. Dan's Dispatch on Talk Radio. The almost criminal neglect we are inflicting on our children as a result of coronavirus hysteria and unnecessary national lockdowns continues at pace. The extreme left-wing Welsh Labour government's announcement that it is scrapping all GCSE and A-level exams for all students next summer is a disgraceful new decision with long-term consequences. Another year of children who have done nothing wrong and are under virtually no threat of becoming ill from this coronavirus are being damned by institutional failure and political scaremongering. What the actual hell? How can parents of Wales accept this madness? What is the justification of such a stupid policy? And surely we should all agree that children and young adults need to be protected most from the hard edges of a failure to learn to live with this virus. If you're like me, I'm sure you are aware of children in your own life who have been deeply psychologically scarred by the impact of the coronavirus lockdown, being taken out of school for months on end. Uh, The fear of COVID being inflicted by a cacophony of maddening new rules. And now a ban on outdoor sports have all caused significant harm to our young people. Ofsted today revealed research showing that over half of schools said children had fallen behind in personal, social and emotional development, while four in five believe mathematics and literacy schools have been hit. The closure of preschools has seen some youngsters regress to the point of wearing nappies, And for teenage students, Ofsted reports horrifying incidents of self-harm and a steep increase in eating disorders. I repeat, what are we doing to our kids? The timing of such a damaging decision by the Welsh Labour government seems especially off, given yesterday's positive news that US pharmaceutical giant Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine has so far been 90% effective. While I agree it's not a civil bullet, it should at the very least put a pause on the long-term decisions that will cause even more damage. After eight months, eight months of complete hell for most of the population, politicians should be doing everything possible to liberate us as quickly as possible. I am terrified that scientists and government decision makers will use the prospect of a vaccine to enforce even more draconian lockdown restrictions and further curbs to our civil liberties Over the next six months, that would be desperately silly. Coronavirus kills, but lockdowns do too. Perhaps in significantly higher numbers over the next five years when the true damage becomes clear. Vaccine or not, our poor kids cannot be put through another six months of the country remaining shut down. The Dan Wooden Show on Talk Radio. 80% of you saying the harmful impacts of lockdowns on our mental health and kids' development are outweighing the benefits. So let's get both sides of this argument now. Coming up in just one moment, we'll hear from Molly Kingsley, co-founder of Us For Them, which is a group campaigning for schools and education to continue as normal. But first, I'm joined by Kirsty Williams, the Welsh Education Minister. 
Kirsty, why have you made this decision so early, especially given the great news that we received yesterday, that there's the potential for this uh, vaccine from Pfizer showing 90% rates of effectiveness? Did that not give you some reason to think, look, let's just hold off before cancelling all exams for next summer? Well, certainly the news about the vaccine yesterday is a ray of hope in what has been a terribly grim year. But you'll be aware that we are a long way off that vaccine being readily available. It hasn't finished its regulatory process yet, let alone be distributed across the country. But what we do know is that education has been disrupted significantly uh, in this autumn term and is due to continue to be disrupted. Uh, And therefore, it is really important that we make a decision now and not keep our staff and our students guessing, effectively riding two horses. Maybe there'll be an exam and rushing to cover all the content. Maybe there's coursework that we'll have to submit instead. And therefore, every single lesson becomes a high stakes, uh, a high stakes lesson. Every single piece of work adds stress to students. I have to deal with the realities of where we are. I wish exams could go ahead, but they simply would not be fair to do so. Some children have been very fortunate. They've had no disruption to their education this autumn term. Other students, because they've been close contacts, have had to isolate for periods of two weeks at a time. And it's simply not fair to judge those students in the same way. But isn't the thing that is most unfair on students, and I've spoken to a lot of educationalists about this, Kirsty Williams, is that as soon as you take away that possibility of exams, actually what you do is you take away the desire of many uh, young people to learn. That's why the system has always worked. That's why we've never scrapped exams altogether, because the two things work hand in hand. Well, let's be clear, what students want is a really positive learning experience for the rest of this academic year. And of course, you know, they're still working towards uh, awarded qualifications. If they take their foot off the gas now, then that will be reflected, I'm sure, in the grade that they will be allocated. But it is absolutely fair to students to remove this doubt about will we, won't we have exams and to focus our set instead on creating that teaching and learning time to ensure that all of our students have the skills, knowledge and experience that will allow them to progress and to be awarded a grade for their work this year. You've had nine months to prepare for this. Why could you not uh, put up massive awnings in, in, in school fields in Wales and have desks positioned outside in a socially distanced manner? You're clearly not listening to what I'm saying is the rationale behind the decision today. I'm not worried about running exams in the summer. They Undoubtedly, there would be challenges to doing that. But as you quite rightly say, we could do that. But what that doesn't make up for is the significant disruption to education that has already happened. That some children will have had to self-isolate for many, many weeks. They will have had to be learning from home. And whilst teachers are doing great and sterling efforts to make that a positive experience, that's not the same as being in the classroom. I understand that, but would it not be possible? children who have been in classrooms. It's simply not a case of the logistics of running an exam system. We can do that. What we can't get the qualification system to do is make up for that disparity of learning opportunity. But that sounds to me like 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 you're accepting defeat. You're, you're accepting that Welsh children will not be taught properly over the next year. I, I'm accepting the reality of the situation I find myself in. I'm accepting the reality of a student that has been through no fault of their home, having to self-isolate for four weeks, And yet there is a student in another school, not that far away, who has had full face-to-face contact. Let's be absolutely clear. We have to find a way that is fair to all students. This isn't about the logistics of running an exam series, although that will be really 
really challenging for those nations that will go ahead and do that. I'm reflecting on the reality, the experience of children and teachers right now. We need to create time for them to learn and yeah. to acquire okay. those skills and not just... I know, but they don't get another chance to set GCSEs or A-levels. This is it. I mean, do you think Gavin Williamson and the English government is being irresponsible by going ahead with GCSEs and A-levels next year? No, not at all. Gavin Williamson has made a decision that he feels is best uh, for that system. Yeah, but, but you think it's in... the wrong decision, though. Well, I think there are inherent risks in that system. Uh, and I do not believe in the interest of fairness and equity for my students that I want to run those risks. Sometimes you've got to take a bit of a risk, Kirsty Williams, to get the reward. And maybe this was a risk worth taking. Well, our students will get their reward. They'll get qualifications that have been awarded to them in a fair and robust way. And they will be able to spend the rest of the academic year working towards them with some certainty and not having to second guess a virus that nobody knows what will happen over okay. this winter and into the spring. Uh, just finally, would you be happy to be injected with this new Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine? Well, of course, as soon as it's gone through its regulatory phases uh, then and, and it is recommended for usage, then of course, of course, I'd be happy to take it, as I would be happy for my children to take. Great stuff. Kirsty Williams, Welsh Education Minister, pleasure to speak to you. What do you think? 03444991000. Is this the right decision by the Welsh Government? Or do you have concerns, like I do, that in fact this is accepting defeat and saying that our children will not be being properly educated if they happen to be in Wales over the next year? 03444991000. That's my phone number. Let me bring in straight away to react to that Molly Kingsley, the co-founder of Us For Them, a group campaigning for children to receive as normal an education as possible during the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, what did you think of what the Welsh Education Minister had to say there, uh, Molly? Well, as it has been so often, it's all rather depressing, isn't it, if you're looking at it from the point of view of what is best for children. Um, I mean, you know, obviously there are huge challenges, but I don't see how taking away exams and the certainty of having exams and the um, incentivization really for children of having that to look forward to helps at this point. You know, Amanda Spielman, who is the chief inspector of Ofsted, was on the radio this morning talking about the same thing. And she was saying, you know, which is great that, you know, we know we shouldn't be taking away exams. We should be giving children something to, to work for. Um, and something that we know is a fairer system than teacher assessment with all the inherent biases of that, of that system. I mean, Molly, one of the issues that I have is that she seems to be using the fact that kids are self-isolating at home when they've been in contact with someone or someone in their class has had coronavirus as an excuse for not running exams. Whereas you could turn it on its head and say it's actually very cruel. And I've known kids in my own life who have had real psychological harm for having to not leave their house for two weeks. Not because they've tested positive for coronavirus, Molly, but just because someone at their school has. It seems like a ridiculous overreaction. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing. There's this assumption here, um, and I picked up on the same point as well, that, you know, actually we've got to live with these rules and, you know, because so many kids are isolating, it's all very unfair. And I would say exactly the same. Why do we? So the figures, the DOB figures on this are appalling. That are 300,000 children, give or take, each week off school, of which I think it's 0.1% actually have tested positive for COVID. I mean, why are people not up in arms about this? It's, this is healthy children who are isolating alone at home. And, you know, the Ofsted reports in England out today make it very clear that that has a really detrimental impact, not only on children's learning, but on children's fitness, on their welfare, on their mental health. 
So I think the thing, you know, it, it, it's the, the exams are almost fiddling with something around the edges. The issue here is children, well children, yes, it is. in school, and we need to look at that system and, and make sure that happens. Will you be lobbying the Welsh Government for them to change their mind on exams? I'm sure we will be, as we are in Scotland. <laughs> Mm, indeed, because because this explain to me what's happening happened in Scotland because it's slightly different to the Welsh decision, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, in Scotland, as I understand it, they're cancelled Nat Fives, which is the equivalent to GCSEs, and that's something that's lost yes. our members. But for the uppers, were, which are the equivalent to A levels, mm. will be taking place. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great stuff. We'll look, keep on doing the good work, and we'll speak soon. That is Molly Kingsley, co-founder of Us for Them, a group campaigning for education to continue. What do you make of it all? 03444991000. Is the Welsh Government doing the right thing? Do you think education should continue as normal? What about lockdown overall? What impact is it starting to have on your mental health? My phone number 03444991000. Let's go to the phones for the first time today. Josh is in Hertfordshire. And Josh, I believe you're 18 years old and studying for A-levels right now. Yeah, that's exactly correct. Yeah. And and do you think they should go ahead, Josh? Uh, no, I don't. I think that for me, people don't realise the effect that the lockdown period had on our education. I think I've spoken to you a couple of times on this matter, Dan, and I think today the announcement from Wales, I think, is actually quite a welcome one from students up and down the country, I think. I think especially, even though it's not going to affect us at the moment, I think it's a glimmer of hope for the people that, like myself, who missed out on so much education, and actually we're not getting that back. And the three weeks that the government are going to give us is, is nothing. We've missed out on six months of learning, six months of the syllabus that we're expected to catch up on in our own time. Teachers are working so hard to try and catch up all the other students, but it's simply not working. And I worry for, not necessarily for myself, because I had quite good online lessons in the summer, but for the people up and down the country that didn't, that didn't have those resources, the, the, the A-level courses are, are so demanding yeah. and they're so difficult and people don't realise how much of an effect this will have. Well, no, I feel so sorry for you, Josh, and everything yeah. that you've been through. I guess the one concern that I have, and it's a big one, is that, and I'm not saying that you would do this, Josh, because you sound like a very studious, intelligent young man, but if you cancel you. exams... Uh, a lot of people, and I've been there, I've been there myself, I know what it's like as a teenager, a lot of teenagers simply decide to not put the work in, to not be educated in the same way. And and there's always been a correlation between uh, the exam process actually encourages learning. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. It is a worry. But I think, as Kirsty Williams said before, and I think, you know, what Wales have put in place, they've put in a system where it isn't like last year, where teachers are just going to give them an ace and that, you know, you know, be on your way. They've said there's going to be rigorous classroom testing, which is, which is the way it should be, which will mean that, although people might not see a difference to the A-level, that will mean individual assessments in class, which aren't as, which, which give children longer time to prepare for less of a subject. So they might give you two questions of, you know, a subject... And, you know, for that week and next week, we give another two. It, 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 it's a much more easier way to break down the syllabus and help children out. And I think my worry, my biggest worry is that if I'm looking at university and you've got a university that's taking two different applicants and you've got someone with the Welsh, you know, the, the Welsh system of exams and the traditional way. You of worry that you'll be disadvantaged. Absolutely. We're, okay. we're absolutely disadvantaged. Well, I don't, I don't think you will be, Josh, because I reckon you're going to ace your exams. The Dan Wooden Show on Talk Radio. 
Good afternoon to Patrick Christus, the Conservative commentator from the right today, and Dawn Foster, the journalist at Jacobin Magazine from the left. I will bring both of you in shortly, but just want to update everyone on this breaking news. Greg Clark, who is the Football Association chairman, has resigned after making this statement in front of the Department for Culture, Media and Sports Select Committee today. If I look at what happens to high-profile female footballers, high-profile coloured footballers, and the abuse they take on social media, not from the crowds, because, you know, you, you get misbehaviour in crowds, but largely people have bought a season ticket, they're going to behave because they will be banned for life if they're giving racist or homophobic abuse. But social media is a free-for-all. And people can see if you're black, and if they don't like black people because they're filthy racists, right, they will abuse you anonymously online. Now, obviously, I do apologise if anyone is offended by that, but I think it's absolutely essential that we listen to what Greg Clark had to say in context. He has resigned as a result and issued this statement. As a person who loves football and has given decades of service to our game, it's right that I put the interests of football first. My unacceptable words in front of Parliament were a disservice to our game and to those who watch, play, referee and administer it. This has crystallised my resolve to move on. I am deeply saddened that I have offended those diverse communities in football that I and others worked so hard to include. I would like to thank my friends and colleagues in the game for the wisdom and counsel they have shared over the years and resign from the FA with immediate effect. What do you make of it? 03444991000. The texts and feedback streaming in already. My says, these people really need to get a grip and focus on real issues. We can thank the BLM and those fools kneeling for this type of nonsense. IH says, old man uses slightly old-fashioned phraseology. Vampires smell blood. Shaman says, another victim of the woke minions' despicable cancel culture. They have ruined this man's reputation just because they are offended. Wake up, folks. You could be next. From Paul Conyu, at least Greg Clark does the right thing and speedily too. And from Kevin Simpson, more fool him for resigning. BAME was the word in March. Apparently, that's not socially acceptable now. To the panel we go. Dawn Foster, should Greg Clark have resigned? I don't think so. I think he should have apologised and said that he, you know, and basically, you know, explained as he tried to that he used bad phraseology, but the sentiment that he had was, was, you know, was fully there. He, you know, he and he, he did apologise earlier today, Dawn, yeah. and clearly it wasn't enough for, for for the cancel culture mob going after him. I think it's a big shame, actually, that he has resigned as well, because I think, you know, there are a lot of MPs who have said much worse things who haven't resigned. And I think that Greg Clark was trying to do his best, trying to put, to point out that there is a huge amount of abuse that does upset a lot of a lot of sports people. And I think he should have he, 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 I think that he should have just apologised, explained, you know, explained as he did that he lived in America for a long time. So he talked about people of colour and just misspoke. So I think he should have apologised, but I don't think he should have resigned. And that's the point, isn't it, Patrick? Uh, pa- Patrick Christus. I mean, look, you tell you tell me. Maybe you think he had to go, but 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 the issue is, Patrick. He wasn't attempting to make a racist point here. It was a slip of the tongue. He was actually talking about the abuse, the the trolling uh, that, yeah. that 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 ethnically diverse footballers receive. 
Look, absolutely. At the end of the day, it was a stupid slip up, right? It absolutely was, 100%. He apologised immediately, but I'm doing, I'm scratching my head here to figure out what the rules are these days because apparently it's okay to go on Channel 4 and, and say that you want to kill Whitey. Apparently it's all right to uh, call anyone who's, um, who's, who's white and basically say that, you know, they, they must be some kind of frothing racist. There was the thing on Netflix, wasn't there? I think, dear white people. It's okay, apparently, now to actually be quite overtly racist when it comes to a particular demographic of people or overtly discriminatory or, or, or disparaging towards. But the second that somebody like Greg Clark, who, who did make a mistake here, and it was a mistake, says what he said with no uh, ill intention whatsoever, he's got to go because of this this cancel culture. And I, I do find that uh, quite quite strange and quite concerning, actually. And I, I also just wonder who was actually clamoring down the door for him to resign. Was well, it a you know who was, Patrick. You know who was. It was the Twitter mob. And you know Is what? Yeah. Organisations today are terrified of the Twitter mob. And Dawn Foster, I am actually becoming increasingly sick and tired of the Twitter mob getting people sacked for making honest mistakes. I didn't actually see very much aimed at Greg Clark. I think the problem with Greg Clark was basically that the FA said that they were worried about it. But I think that, you know, Greg Clark was speaking to Parliament and Parliament is filled with people who said a lot, you know, far more offensive things. Pretty Vettel has been warned by the police that some of her, some of her rhetoric has, you know, ha has essentially threatened people. We had we had an MP say that, you know... That's what Pretty Vettel's racist now, is she, Dawn? I think I, I think Pretty Patel's you know behaviour has caused uh, immigration lawyers to be worried about about uh, about about their safety. Immigration and lawyers have, on the far left, not on the far left at all. Or immigration lawyers who are you know all sorts of political bents have been very very worried. You know the the people who are threatening them don't know the politics of these immigration lawyers. I know lots of lawyers who are, who are who have lots of different politics, and very few people publicly know them. I mean, Patrick Christus, this is a controversial man, Greg Clark. I, I'm not going yes. to pretend to know everything about his career. I'm obviously not a football reporter. But three years ago, in front of this parliamentary committee, he referred to institutional racism as fluff. So this is a guy who has been honest and, and open about his, his feelings about this movement. And I guess they got him in the end. Look, I think the issue, the main reason why I didn't think that Greg Clark um, should have kept his job was not because of anything to do with this, just I've never thought he was that good at his job, right? So uh, that's, been, that's been one of the major issues for me regarding Greg Clark. He has also said some rather unfortunate sweeping statements uh, uh, about, uh, I believe, it was people of, of Southeast Asian origin as well and, and their career uh, priorities, I think he phrased it as. Um, so he's, he's, he's been quite clumsy numerous times in the past. But what I will say is it's about it's about intention. And if you have one man here who's got you know a really pretty illustrious career behind him, let's be perfectly honest with you, which is now in absolute tatters because he's come out and said a word that he that you no doubt regret saying, and I think un undoubtedly did not intend to say in that mm. sense. If that's all it takes to burn your career to the ground, then I'm sorry, but I think we're all in deep, deep trouble here. And like I said, it doesn't work both ways. This is what I don't understand. You know, there were plenty of people there who committed wanton acts of criminal damage during, for example, the Black Lives Matters protest there, and nothing happened there. And then you've got people, like I said, that go on Channel 4 and actually say, talk about killing white people, and nothing happens there. I just don't understand what the rules are anymore. And until we get this consistency, and until more people actually stand up and stop kind of getting on Twitter and feeling as though that they are presumably, in my, my opinion, a lot of the a lot of the Twitter mob are actually hiding something about themselves.
they are trying to pretend that they don't have uh, some kind of racial views by coming out yeah. and promoting you know these people look they've got to go look how great and saintly i am whereas actually normally behind closed doors i would expect them to be no better than anybody else to be perfectly honest with you so yeah i think mm. he, he shouldn't have gone apart from the fact that you know he shouldn't have got the job in the first place because he wasn't that good i mean dawn foster this is a guy who shoots from the hip uh he seems to be very un-PC. He apparently referred to gay players as making a life choice earlier, and he spoke about a coach telling him young female players did not like having the ball hit hard at them. So he's certainly not woke, this man, Dawn Foster. He's certainly not from the PC brigade. But here's the fundamental issue I have, Dawn Foster, and this is a bigger picture thing. If we start trying to criminalise this this type of conversation that, let's be honest, Dawn, goes on at every pub in this country, at every football stadium in this country. If we start to try and criminalise or at least make that sort of language publicly unacceptable, then what we're doing is creating a massive divide in this country, which is only going to get bigger. You aren't going to get an argument from me. I think Greg Clark should have apologised, but I think that should have been exactly where it stopped. You know, we have, for instance, Seamus Wolfe, who is a Supreme Court judge in Ireland who can't be removed, who's done far worse things than Greg Clark. And, you know, I I think that often it is very, very uneven. You know, MPs can essentially do anything at all, but they can't be removed. Whereas someone like Greg Clark can be pushed out of an organisation. And I think that he should have just been able to apologize i think anybody should be able to do that and if greg clark you know carried on doing this sort of thing all the time we might know a little bit more about him but you know as as patrick said he wasn't very good at his job um but you know i think the situation wasn't great okay let's move on to the other big piece of breaking news today boris johnson and joe biden have had this first phone conversation now lots of criticism already uh, uh, Patrick Christus from Boris Johnson, especially amongst Trump supporters. Jennifer Acury, who uh, claims to have been a former romantic love interest of Boris Johnson, has tweeted saying, this is repulsive, Boris Johnson. Yes, even for you, you know the media does not call elections. This is referring to the fact that Boris Johnson referred to Joe Biden as the president-elect. Your view? Well, I think, look, I do think that President Biden is the president's elect. I think that um, just the practical realities of of Donald Trump uh, now going through the motion, somehow managing to cling on to the presidency, it's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Okay, so Joe Biden is the president elect. Also, um, I think it was I read that Jennifer Curry tweet and uh, I'm not sure what frame of mind she's necessarily in at the moment, put it that way. Um, it, it's been a, a, an astonishing... A woman what scorned, might you say, Patrick? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think this is... Uh, or will you yeah. leave that to uh, me? Well, I'll leave that to you. Uh, no, but, um, yeah, the home of free speech. Um, but, um, no, look, I think that's, um, that, that, that actually fundamentally on this, it's bad for Britain that Biden is actually the president, right? And so... Um, Biden is very keen to point out that he's got these Irish roots, which is for some reason why he hates the BBC. I mean, I mean there's a million reasons to hate the BBC. That may not be one of them. Um, but he also... Uh, just but it's not about hating the BBC, is it, Patrick? He thinks the BBC represents Britain and he hates Britain. Britain. Yeah. yeah. And then apparently the second phone call he made as, as president was to uh, the Irish uh, Taoiseach. And despite the fact that Biden's last relative apparently left Ireland in 1850... Uh, which might be the year that he was born. Um, but um, but yeah, so, uh, so so look, this is bad news for Britain. He's very pro-European Union, of course. He yeah. he doesn't appear course to be uh, pro-British. And, 
this is bad. You see all these yeah. woke brigades that are saying, oh, it's great that Trump's gone. Actually, it's like an act of national self sadomasochism. This, you but, know, but Dawn Foster, Dawn Foster, Joe Biden is is nowhere near left enough for you, is he? You basically think he's on the far right. <laughs> um, I, 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 I don't think he's on the far right. I, th- I think I think it's good that the Trump's gone, but I think that immediately the left have to oh, push come on, Biden Dawn. to come on, to, Dawn. Can to I just get med- you to Medicare admit this, Dawn? Can I just get you to admit this at the very least? You're going to miss hmm. Trump a little bit, aren't you? You're going to miss the drama. You're going to miss the lulls. You're going to miss the scandal. It's going to be a very I'm, boring I'm, I'm, White I'm, I'm House honest, without I'm, Trump I'm, in I'm, it. I'm honestly not, but at least we still have his absolutely wild Twitter feed to For now. keep us amused. Oh, Twitter, <laughs> Twitter will ban him next, Dawn. That will be the next thing, won't <laughs> it? They're going to have him out of there as soon as he's out of the White House, I imagine, after January the 20th. I think he might actually have a little bit more freedom. At the moment, if you look at Trump's Twitter feed, almost every tweet has been hidden by by Twitter because because they're essentially saying that what he's saying isn't true. So I think he may have more freedom. For me, all I want from Biden, you know, he, he can do whatever he wants, but all I want from him is Medicare for all, you know, essentially okay. an NHS forum. For, Why do you for care America. about that, Dawn? You're not in America. Because I, you're, 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 in here, I, no. you're in the UK. Why do you give a damn what health system they have? Because I know people in America, okay. and for instance, you know, I, I I know a friend of a friend who had a premature baby recently, okay. and was told that the bill was going to be sixty five thousand okay, pounds, enough. which shouldn't be what a baby's life costs. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, look, I just want to talk about uh, finally about this Labour criticism of Kate Bingham, who is the Vaccine Task Force Chair. Now, Patrick Christus, there were reports over the weekend that this woman spent £670,000 on public relations advisors. We don't know exactly what for. We don't know what it's about. She also, Patrick, secured us uh, 40 million doses of this new Pfizer vaccine. So I can't believe that we're not celebrating that this woman, Kate Bingham. Hmm. Yeah, we don't know. Look, I'm, I'm with you completely. But I mean, it seems like Labour waited absolutely ages to try and form any kind of opposition whatsoever. And then now they're just getting it wrong when they do. Uh, it's, it is quite shocking, this. I don't quite understand why people are so uh, up in arms about it. Although it does strike me that for a woman who's um, essentially, you know, runs a PR firm, she actually managed to, to mess up her own PR on this quite badly. Um, but um, but yeah, no. Uh, and I think there seems to be a national tendency at the moment. Matt Hancock did it today. I think it was Jonathan Van Tam did it yesterday. The Welsh government have done it now with the education system. Why have we managed to turn what is an overtly positive, this great news that we've got and we've waited months for, months and months for, into something that's potentially now quite negative? It's like we just Mm. can't allow ourselves to be happy anymore. And I'm quite worried about that, really. Dawn, why aren't we celebrating this woman, Kate Bingham? She's she's she secured us 40 million doses of this Pfizer vaccine, plus 300 million doses of other vaccines being developed. We need these things. Imagine the criticism if she hadn't secured us this. And if she's got to spend £670,000 on advisors in order to do it, I think I'll accept it, Dawn. Yeah, I think I, th- I think Labour have essentially, you know, weirdly just sat back in their office and and, and said and said we have to criticise the government somehow, but they've gone mm-hmm. for precisely the wrong the wrong thing. They could have gone for you know all sorts all sorts of, of private contractors, and they've gone for the one who's managed to you know secure 40, 40 million vaccines. I mean, I'm in a hospital at the moment. Uh, everybody's worried about COVID. Everyone's testing for COVID. It's properly changed the way this hospital works. 
and the way that we all live. So the fact that they've that the fact that they've attacked her shows that you know Labour are panicking. And you know, there's a very good piece in the Economist about how uh, about 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 how cautious. Um, uh, Kia Starmer is and how that's holding Labour back. They've really, really decided to criticise exactly the wrong person at exactly the wrong point. The Dan Wooden Show on Talk Radio. Well, let me bring in Darren Grimes. And Darren, look, the Culture Secretary Oliver Dowden has announced what he says is going to be a genuine debate over our public service broadcasters, including the BBC and Channel 4. So today, Darren, I want you to imagine that you're in charge of shaking up public broadcasting in, in this country. What do you want to see happen? Oh, well, listen, Dan, there's only there's only one thing to do here, isn't there? And that's to actually make the BBC be good value for money, which you can only do by removing the coercive funding model from the chai latte sipping, kale munching BBC liberals, right? The only way it can be in tune with the British people is for us all to pay for content that we actually want. You know, I tune in and listen to your show on talk radio and I, I'm not coerced to do that. I don't face threat of prison in order to to do that so i think the only way actually that the bbc and by the way dan let's not forget that in 2019 during the general election the prime minister himself said that the license fee was regressive and actually he couldn't understand why to watch live television you have to pay for the license fee with threat of prison and coercion so I can't really understand what the government are doing with the, there's not a single voice you know on the panel that they've put forward advocating any form of scrapping the license fee any model that gets rid of the license fee and I think the only way to bring the BBC one into the 21st century but two in more in touch with the British people is to actually scrap the funding model it's interesting isn't it Darren because there's a number of people who are going to be on this panel advising mm-hmm. Culture Secretary Oliver Dowden and includes the likes of Sir Robbie Gibb, former Director of Communications to Theresa May, who was head of BBC Westminster, Lord Grade, mm-hmm. who's previously headed up the BBC, of course, as well. But some of the mood music is that they're not going to look at the BBC mm-hmm. funding model, which seems to be a concern, doesn't it? Well, absolutely. Because uh, What's happened, Dan, right? The person that we voted for... He, as I say, seemed to recognise that it's ridiculous that if I want to watch Newcastle United get thrashed on Sky Sports, I have to pay the BBC for a licence fee or face prison. And he's now, he seems to have capitulated to the status quo to avoid him any, any aggravation. Like I say, the best way to guarantee the best bang for the taxpayer's buck is to bring the BBC screaming into the 21st century. Have the BBC compete on a completely level play field with everybody else axe the tv tax and let the likes of the bbc and especially channel 4 stand on their own two feet you know dan i grew up watching channel 4 news uh, when i was a kid it's an absolute wonder i'm not a communist i don't see why the taxpayer should should still have to pay that it should just be privatized let it compete on a level playing field with everyone else including a radio station as fantastic as talk radio well indeed and we do it without any public money of course darren uh and we don't want any public money because we don't mm-hmm. need any public money that is the point now it's interesting because oliver down and the culture secretary says that 
that this new body won't just tiptoe around the edges, but will drill right down into the current system and how it operates. I hope so. The BBC, I think quite despicably, Darren, using the coronavirus pandemic to try and fight back, despite the fact that actually it has no relevance to this. This is what a spokesperson from the BBC had to say. The past few months have served as a powerful reminder of just how much the BBC matters locally, nationally and globally. Our programmes and services have never been more relevant, important or necessary. So the BBC are not going down without a fight and they'll use whatever they have to. Well, absolutely. I, th- I think that must be right. But let's not forget, though, the BBC also said that they wouldn't axe the free TV licence for the over 75s when actually they'd managed to grab a deal with David Cameron at the time. Inflation linked rises in licence fee taxes in exchange for not charging the over 75s. They then reneged on that. And this strikes me as the BBC just looking for another opportunity to penny pinch because they recognise it's it's my generation, Dan, that aren't going to pay the licence fee anymore. So they've got to look for other ways that they can keep keep going and keep extracting as much money from us as possible. The BBC isn't good value for money. Uh, if you disagree, if you are someone that voted for the Conservative Party, for example, you'll struggle to find any content that actually speaks to you. You'll struggle to find any content that if you like your country, that actually speaks to you. So I think actually this Conservative government, who say that they're putting in place the people's priorities, have to recognise that reforming the BBC licence fee, which, by the way, Poland suggests that British people agree with me, Dan, that the licence fee is not good value for money, then why don't they reform it? It's just another example of this government U-turning. And I tell you what, too many U-turns and you quickly end up in the U-bend. I really think they need to have a second think about this and actually consider radical reform of the BBC. Darren, it's not just the BBC, though, either, is it? Because this review is also going to look at Channel 4. And Mm. Darren Grimes, I cannot understand why to this day the public owns Channel 4 when this is a politically motivated organisation. It's a failing organisation. It's an organisation that no one particularly wants. The government needs to grow some muscle here and sell the damn thing because this is the final chance to do so. Absolutely. I mean, if you consider things like the BBC World Service, there is perhaps an argument for that to still exist, uh, perhaps with some support from the taxpayer in the future, because that actually does a lot for Britain's soft power around the world. But Channel 4, I mean, no one can really look either of us in the eye, Dan, and tell her that there's any reason why in 2020, in the age of Netflix and Amazon, that we should own Channel 4. We should own an activist broadcaster that seems to do all it can to oppose our vote for Brexit and our vote for this Conservative government. There is no excuse. That should have been sold off and the taxpayer pockets the billion quid at a time when people have been propelled into financial misery and squalor, Dan. It does not make sense for the taxpayer that own Channel 4 at all. The Dan Wooden Show on Talk Radio. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast version of The Dan Wooten Show, which is the home of free speech. Remember, you can listen and watch us live from 4pm to 7pm every day on Talk Radio or YouTube. I'd love you to subscribe and do give us a rating as well, because that really helps other people find the podcast. I'm Dan Wooten. Thank you for listening. We'll speak again tomorrow.